Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 7, Episode 4, Orpheus. Sounds like Morpheus, but it's not. No, this is the, the Greek myth Orpheus. Yes. I still have noticed more often, they we've talked about it before, but it, it, they're kind of doing the thing of that we've talked about so many times of are the Gould taking on the existing mythology yeah. or are they using the mythology to like explain the Gould? Yes. Know? Yeah. That happened a lot in here. Yeah. Cause we have like references to like Erebus is like the Greek underworld and it's like, okay, when did that come in? Yeah. It's like, which it's like, which came first, the Gould or the myth, the myth or the Gould chicken or the egg. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They keep, they keep using whichever one is convenient at the time. Yeah. It's like, I mean, for sure, like, if we go back to the movie, Ra, the myth, for sure existed first, and that Gould corrupted that. But did that then expand, and the sort of, the main pantheon just got corrupted, and then the Gould started doing bad things, so then the myth started absorbing what the Gould were doing, and it was kind of like a whole, like, circular thing where one feeds into the other. It's... Yeah. I don't, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. But, you know. But I like this episode. It is a good one. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So should we get into talking about it then? Yeah, tell me about it. Okay. So this episode originally aired on June 27th, 2003, written and directed by Peter DeLuise. And on the commentary, we have Peter DeLuise and the director of photography, Peter West. Is there a cameo? Ish. <laughs> There's, okay. there's a there's a there's a reference okay i'll put it that way i'll tell you okay. when we get there okay okay there's a reference to a cameo there's there's a peter reference okay got okay. it okay <laughs> so in this episode tilk's dependence on tritonin is changing in him ways he didn't expect and he is struggling with his identity as a jaffa Daniel is also struggling to come to terms with his descension. Sharing Kelnarim with Tilk, Daniel has a vision of Tilk's son, Ryak, and mentor Braytak trapped in a Jaffa death camp and realizes he did nothing to help them. Boo. Yeah. So we start with an unscheduled off-world activation, with, which has SG-1's IDC. Jack then comes over the radio to let the SGC know that like they're coming in hot, and Hammond orders everyone in the gate room to get ready. Okay, I need to rant here for a second because... Okay. So, nothing to do with the episode itself, but... So, you know, like, I look up, like, trivia and goofs just to see if there's anything interesting to talk about as we're just dissecting what happens in the episode. And there's something somebody marked as a goof here that I've seen in a couple other episodes, and it's, it's not a goof at all. So, we're in Earth, in the, star, in the Stargate room, with the Earth gate... The Earth gate spins and has to dial manually, even like incoming. So the last chevron that locks is the Earth point of origin because we're looking at the Earth gate. Occasionally, someone points out that that is a goof because the incoming wormhole is not from Earth. It should be the off-world point of origin. That's not possible, like at all, because the gate has 39 glyphs 38 of which are constellations and the 39th being the point of origin, which is just a random symbol 
that is just that's the planet is this symbol you know like the earth point of yeah. origin is the you know great pyramid of giza with the sun the one in abydos is their great pyramid with three suns etc you can't have every point of origin on every gate like the point of origin glyph is just the placeholder for the point of origin so on an incoming gate if it has to spin for whatever reason it will always lock on whatever the point of origin is for the planet that the gate is on. And people keep pointing it out as a goof when incoming wormholes on Earth lock with the Earth point of origin. It's like, it has to. There's no other point of origin for the Stargate to lock on. Like, that's it. And it drives like me nuts. the pound symbol? It, yes, it's just, it's the placeholder. It's all it is. And it drives me nuts. And I don't know why this is the time I was like, I'm going to be mad about <laughs> it and tell all of you that I'm mad about it. It's happening. <sighs> anyway, yes. Anyway, that that's my rant. Rant over. Okay, thank you for indulging I me. I support that. I support it very much. Well done. Okay, thank you. Yay. Okay, so the iris opens. Staff blasts start flying through, like hitting the back wall. Jack, Sam, and Daniel are the first ones through with Sam yelling that Tilk is right behind them. One of the enemy Jaffa also happens to make it through and is quickly taken down by gunfire, but unfortunately not before he gets a shot off at Tilk and hits him right in the stomach. Tilk goes down, Hammond yells for the medical team, Fraser rushes in, they start getting to work. Tilk actually doesn't have a pulse, so they start CPR as we cut to the opening credits. This is very, I mean, I know that the episode is basically all around this occurrence, but I just always find it so funny when they do the, like, random staff blast will kill everybody else, but whenever it hits anybody, like, important, they're fine. Yes, (laughs) of course. Like, that very, very much would have made any other character ever just dead. Very dead. Well, we'll find out very shortly, Tilk would have been dead, if not for his current circumstances, which is, you know the crux of the matter of this episode. Well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that under normal circumstances, it would have also killed all the humans and everybody. I suppose. I guess it depends on what the internal physiology of a Jaffa actually is in regard to the orientation of their internal organs. Ooh, Jaffa anatomy. Yes, Jaffa anatomy 101. (laughs) Is because this this is another one of those random questions that I've always had that I don't think has ever been answered. Is the is is the symbiote in an actual like like a sack in their abdomen or is it just free swimming around? You know, I think it's in a sack. They call I mean they call it a pouch, but is that just because of the it's an opening? Like every time it's referred to, they refer to it as a pouch. But is it an actual physical pouch, or is that just what they call it? I always imagined it, yeah, as its own area, enclosed pouch area. And it kind of like a, a, what's the word, like an amniotic sack? Yeah. Well, okay. That you can stick your hand right in there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can see arguments for both ways. So, you know, I don't know. So are you imagining, is there a sack or is the is the symbiote just like swimming around their body? Yeah. I don't. Well, then why would it ever just stay in place? It would just like go everywhere. 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that's a good point. If it's not in its own sack, why would it ever stay in the area where the slit is? And then what would prevent it from just like taking over the person by attaching it to the to. spinal cord? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're immature symbiotes when they're in the pouch. So maybe there's some, you know, like larva maturing. There's some like at a certain point, a trigger that goes, now you're maturing can take over a person. Now you're mine. Now you would be. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't know. I I think I would imagine. I I imagine a pouch. Well, they do say that if a Jaffa carries a symbiote for too long and it does mature and isn't able to get into a host, it will take over the Jaffa, which seems to be it is free floating and can get to the spinal cord, the brainstem, to attach. Oh, I, when I heard that, I imagined it, like, just eating through whatever it needed to get to. Oh. I mean, that's very possible, too. That is also very possible, that it, like, eats, yeah, yeah, eats through whatever sack it might be in. This is a lovely conversation to have right after eating dinner. Uh. <laughs> Jaffa Anatomy 101, is it or is it not a sack? Is it a sack? <laughs> is it sack? No, sorry, wrong, no, wrong show. Uh. No. We're not playing Is It Cake with a sack. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing that. No. no. Nope. No, 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 no. Okay. Anyway, should we go back to the show itself? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have any final comments on the sack topic. It is sack. Okay. You say it's sack. I say it could be either. All right. Okay. Okay. So we come back from the credits in the infirmary where Tilk is miraculously kind of okay. He got shot right where the symbiote pouch used to be, and if he still had Junior, he would be dead. But since he doesn't and is now on tritonin, he's going to be fine. Eventually, he's going to need some physical therapy and stuff, but he'll he'll be okay. There was some damage to his spine since there wasn't a pouch to block the shot. Aha! Okay, so that's an argument for there is an actual physical sack. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, but again, with some PT, he'll be fine. Uh, Tilk asks after the Jaffa that shot him, and that Jaffa did die uh, because his symbiote was too damaged to survive and, like, fix him. So Sam and Daniel are giving Hammond the rundown of what happened on the mission, and the Jaffa they encountered had symbols from many different system lords, but most of them were from Ball. So th- this whole thing is kind of their fault because they put Ball in the position of power that he now has, over the, what did he get, the United Alliance of System Lords, I think is what they called it. I forgot to write that down. Yes, the United Alliance of System Lords. Uh, So it's kind of all their fault. And it's like, yes, it was in order to get rid of Anubis, but still, whoops. Ball's all super powerful now. Crap. Yeah, I like that whole routine of like, well, we kind of, oops, we shot ourselves in the foot. We did that. We did that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Fraser then comes in and gives an update on Tilk and everything, and like, yeah, they can go see him now. So down in the infirmary, apparently Daniel has asked Tilk how Rack is doing, which Tilk does appreciate because he's sick of everybody asking how he is. And so we learn that Ryak is off with Braytac trying to recruit more Rebel Jaffa, and Tilk doesn't expect that he'll he'll hear from them for quite some time. And as we had cut into the scene, we saw there was like a plethora of jello on Tilt's little table. And apparently that was Jack 
bringing Tilk Jello in an attempt to like sympathize. And Tilk kind of brushes everything off because this current situation is all his fault. He fell behind. It's only his fault that he's injured. Daniel won't hear any of it. But no, Tilk insists and he would like to be alone now. So, okay, something is going on with Tilk. Hmm. Yeah, I I really, really enjoyed how the storyline played out because the, yeah. during this first interaction when Teal'c is just like beating himself up and everything, I thought it was very weird that this instance would get him so upset. Yeah. And then once it evolves and you learn about, you know, he's been feeling this way for a while, it's because of the Tritonin, he doesn't have all his strength back, he feels less yeah, I thought I thought it was a really good evolution of this whole storyline because because the fact that in the beginning of it, I, I thought it was so out of place. And then you learn what's really going yeah. on. Yeah. And I do. And I'm glad they did this because I do think this is something that needed to be addressed. Like, what does a tilk on Tritonin feel like? How does like physically, mentally, is he struggling with it? And I'm I'm really glad they did address it. Yeah. Yeah, because, it's, it's yeah. a really great interpretation of, you know, athletes and whoever, people are, that are very physical that aren't, that, you know, have something happen to them and they can't perform like they used to. And you go yeah. through that whole thing of like, your body doesn't feel like your body anymore. Yeah. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel familiar. It feels like something else and having to go through that. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, me too. I agree. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Yay! Uh, so then as Daniel leaves out in the hall, he kind of hears what sounds like somebody calling out for somebody or kind of in pain. Maybe he looks, it's not Till, because he's like, that's, that's weird. What was that? Hmm. Interesting. Down in the gym, Sam and Daniel are working out as we see Tilk working with his physical therapist in the background. And Sam happens to be going on a rant about how much she hates the movie Signs because it's just so dumb. And like, she's not wrong. <laughs> But I love how she didn't ever, they didn't name the movie. You just knew. You know, everybody knows. I mean, the movie came out like the year before this episode, I think. So it was like probably still the big hit movie of the time when they were like filming and everything. So, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I love this interaction, how Daniel is like, why do you watch those movies? She's like, don't you want to know if they're getting anything right? Because if somebody is getting something really right, then that might mean they're leak. And maybe they need to, like, investigate something. We're all extreme. Yes. Mm -hmm. Remember Mm -hmm. Martin? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Got to keep an eye out. Yep. Anyway, uh, Sam notices that Daniel seems to be a bit distracted. And he goes on this thing about how, you know, he's recovered the majority of his memories from before his ascension. But he still can't remember anything from the year he was ascended. And there's, like, something that's, like, niggling at his brain that seems important. But he just, like he can't remember it's just not there and we then cut over to tilk and the therapist is like it's great You're done for the day good job tilk uh and fyi this actress is actually amanda tapping stand-in so she finally got a little screen oh. time of her own which is great yay uh tilk does not listen because he keeps pushing himself like he's like using parallel bars to try and you know walk because you know back injury walking is always the big problem Sam and Daniel come over to try and get Tilk to stop because pushing yourself too hard can make it worse. But he's not listening. He keeps going. He kind of stumbles a bit. Daniel, like, tries to catch him and Tilk's like, leave me alone. Go away. Stop. Let me be. 
And then Daniel hears that voice again. And you can see his eyes kind of go on focus, like he's thinking really hard about something. And Sam's like, Daniel, what's up? What's going on? What's with that look on your face? Yeah. So we then cut to Sam and Daniel in the control room where Sam is showing him the record logs of incoming wormholes. He's not sure what exactly he's looking for, but he's pretty sure it has something to do with this. So he does admit that it's been a bit tough because he doesn't know if him descending was his choice and if maybe he could be helping more if he was still out there. And Sam's like, yeah, that's got to suck. Have at it. It's like, yeah, leaves him to it. So because what do you say to something like that? Back in the gym, Fraser is going over Tilk's rehab with his therapist, and he has, as Fraser says, just lifted, pushed, and pulled more weight than anyone on this base ever has. So Fraser is clearing him for active duty, but Tilk still insists that he is not ready. Back in the control room, Daniel is still poking around on stuff with uh, Walter Norman Harriman Davis when Jack comes in, and Daniel's still got nothing, even though he's expanded his search parameters even bigger so jack tells him to stop thinking and then maybe he'll remember which like Wait, i'm like it's, that's how that's how it works yeah. isn't it? you stop yeah. thinking about it and then like you remember when you're in the shower and like oh that's the thing at so, like 2 a.m yeah i'm like i'm kind of with jack on this one yeah um but anyway fraser had told jack that till could use a pep talk and jack's been practicing but apparently it's not very peppy i I had a little moment in my head where I actually tried to picture him practicing a pep talk, and I enjoyed it. It is funny, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Jack and Daniel go to talk to Tilk, and they both mention that it's obviously something that's been bothering Tilk since even before he was shot, and it seems pretty obvious what that is. And Tilk's like, I don't need to tell you what it is, then great, let's move on. But Daniel tries to urge him to talk about it anyway, because that's really the only way he'll feel better, but Tilk... Still doesn't want to. So Jack's like, you know what? I'm your commanding officer. I'm going to order you to tell us or somebody. I'm ordering you to talk about it. And so Tilk's like, okay, you're my commanding officer. I'm not fit for duty, despite everything that Dr. Fraser has said. And like what has happened to him is completely unacceptable. This thing that he calls keck, which Daniel translates as death. Tilk clarifies that he means weakness because to the Jaffa, weakness and death are the same thing. And as soon as he lost Junior, he started feeling it, but kept holding out hope that things would change and he could get back to how he was. But it seems apparent that that's not going to happen now. Jack won't take it. Tilk is still the strongest guy in the SGC and he has two good knees. But no, Tilk still insists he's not fit for active duty. So Jack's like, OK, I'll accept that for now. OK, all right. Uh, then Jack and Daniel leave and they have a quick conversation out in the hall. And if this is all about Tilk feeling like he's quote unquote lost his mojo, then there's nothing anyone can say that will make him feel better. It's just, it's all down to Tilk now, like finding it again for himself. Which is true. Yes. Later on, Daniel is in Tilk's quarters where we have a whole buttload of candles lit. They're sitting cross-legged on the floor. And yes, sure, Tilk doesn't need to kill no Reem anymore, but Daniel points out that humans still meditate sometimes. And Daniel thinks that maybe what Tilk is going through and Tilk's like, hey, the most important thing about kill no Reem, it's silence. Okay. So does Tilk sleep now then or no? Yeah, he does. Yes, it is mentioned he, he sleeps like a normal human now. Oh, okay. Yep. I missed it. I've yep. been wondering about that one. 
I think it's not really talked about, but it's sort of like in passing, Tilk talks about like sleeping. I think there was one episode where he talked about like he like was dreaming, which Jaffa don't do because they don't sleep, so they don't dream. And now he's sleeping, so he's dreaming, and it was weird, I think. Or maybe it's a future episode, something. I don't know. But okay. Well, because then when he talks about it in this one, he was he says that thing to Daniel about when when Daniel was there for him when he and uh Braytac were passing the yeah symbiote back and forth then he talked about dreaming right yeah but that wasn't in the context obviously of regular sleep so yeah maybe I'm maybe that's what I'm thinking about and misremembering possibly but but yes Tilk does yes I know for sure yes Tilk does sleep Okay, then. Okay. All right. So they go into silence, start meditating, whatever. And we see Daniel have some kind of like flashback memory. And we're in what looks like a Jaffa prison camp where everyone is being treated horribly. And we see among the Jaffa there are Braytac and Ryak. We see Ryak stumbles. He starts getting flogged. Braytac intervenes and they start to whip him instead. And Braytac just stands there all stoic while he's just like getting like whipped. And that's when we hear Ryak, which is what Daniel was hearing, going like, no, master, no, stop. And like that's that's that voice that Daniel's been hearing up until this point. So Daniel steps out of it, tells Tilk what he saw, and Tilk then shares what happened to him during the that ambush where he lost Junior, the events of Changeling, and how Daniel came and appeared to him in a dream. And then later when he was back at the SGC healed and was awake, Daniel appeared to him again. And he then knew what Daniel had done for him, and that is why Tilk believes him uh, when Daniel tells him like what he saw happening to Ryak and Braytek. My immediate thought, my immediate thought for this was, oh crap, how long ago was that? Yes, yeah. Which they don't ever really talk about because it's you know still happening. So they never really talk about how long they had been there. Yeah, I mean we do get a little bit. We get like it's probably been about this long, but yeah, it's. Oh, how long was it then? Because I missed it. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. We'll get there I'll in wait. a little bit. Okay. I'll, wait. I'll let you know when we get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, so up in the briefing room, everyone else also believes Daniel, which is great. And he's like, you you believe me? And they're like, and he's like, yo, a whole bunch of weird shit goes on here. Why not this? So. Uh, <laughs> finally. Finally. Yes, finally. There like are all those times. Like, yes. <laughs> all those other times where they're like, are you sure it's this weird thing and not something not alien? And we're like, you go to alien planets every day. Of course yeah. it's an alien thing. So, yes, yay, everybody just believes him so they can just, like, get down to work, which is great. Uh, And given how long it's been since Daniel descended, then Braytac is probably very close to running out of Tritonin, if not having run out of it already. Unfortunately, Daniel's still got nothing as far as the location, and it's not a place that sounds familiar to Tilk, so Tilk requests that they contact Ragnar for help, and Hammond approves. Oh, that was in the conversation where they mentioned how long it's been? No, not yet. No. Uh, We then cut to this prison camp, like now, present day, and, you know, we see all the Jaffa toiling away, various strenuous physical labors. A group of them are pulled away from what they were doing because they were not working hard enough, and so they will be executed. 
We also see here that Ryak is very concerned for Braytac and his Tritonin supply, but Braytac tries to assure him that he'll be fine. We see that group of Jaffa lined up for execution. One of them starts to run away. The like head guard there guys like Kree gets his staff weapon, shoots him, and then everybody else is also executed. No. So this is, this is not a nice place to be. No. No, not a vacation planet. Not at all, no. No. Uh, we cut to Daniel, Tilk, and Ragnar in Daniel's office looking over sort of what looks like a quick sketch of the area that Daniel saw, and he's giving them some more details about the planet itself. There were two moons, a Nakwido refinery, and a floating dry dock with a mothership that's under construction. Ragnar immediately knows what this place is. This is Erebus. Would you like some fun facts about the real Erebus? <gasps> okay. Okay. So in Greek mythology, Erebus is the personification of darkness. In Hesiod's epic poem Theogony from circa 730 BC, Erebus is one of the first gods to exist as the offspring of chaos. He is the father of Aether, the sky, and Himera, the day, with Nyx, the goddess of the night. So Nyx and Erebus made Aether and Himera. The name Erebus can refer to the physical darkness of the underworld, the underworld itself, or the area which souls pass through in order to reach Hades. In Roman mythologies, Erebus is also said to be the father of a great many offspring, including Amor, which is love, uh, Amicitia, friendship, Metis, fear, and Mors, death. So... According to the Romans, Erebus was a very busy guy. Oh, man. Can you repeat all those names for me again? Like, just really Amor. quick. Amor. Amor. <laughs> I should know how to pronounce the Amichitia. Amichitia. Uh, Metis and Moors. There. Okay. okay. All right. So the Erebus in the Stargate universe is where all the Hatak vessels are built because that's where they purify the Naquita that are used to build them. So this is where our like designer guy must work, right? Our, like, oh. design. Remember yeah. our about like where this all gets built? This is where it all gets built. Okay. So we know where the warehouse is. Yes. We need to know where the design studio is now. I guess. Yeah. yeah. We've got part of the puzzle, but not the whole thing yet. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so on Erebus, they only use basically Jaffa prisoners of war due to the extremely toxic fumes and heat from the furnaces that are powered by the underground volcanic activity because all of that is just too much and eventually the Jaffa will all die. So basically, like if a ghoul is conquered and his Jaffa won't serve their new master, they get sent to Erebus, which, as Daniel says, makes it an excellent place to try and recruit the rebel Jaffa to their cause. Unfortunately, Ragnar tells them that Ball recently seized control of Erebus, so Braytac and Ryak must have gotten trapped. And he's like, "Well, then there's just there's stuff. There's no way to get them out. They're done. They're dead. Say so just say just never mind. They're gone. Just <laughs> Which, bye, bye." Uh, because he tells them that the gate on Erebus has something very similar to the iris of the SGC, where some sort of code or signal has to be sent to lower a force field, and nobody knows. What that is. Daniel or then gets drawn. Do huh? they? Well, Daniel has another little flashback thing where we see Braytag, Ryak, and several other, like, possibly new rebel Jaffa trying to escape from Erebus to somewhere else after dialing the gate address. 
Braytac grabs a device from one of the fallen Jaffa that they had shot that was guarding the gate, sends that through, but they are then surrounded by more Jaffa and recaptured. The camera then pans to show Daniel standing off to the side in his Amidonian robes of ascension, just watching this whole thing happen. Just watching and looking kind of very, like, pensive, angry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Daniel snaps out of this flashback and just runs off and Tilk is like, let's, we should just follow him. Let's, let's go. So we end up in the control room where Daniel is having Sam look up incoming wormholes for the alpha site. That's where Braytac was trying to lead everybody off of Erebus. And he's also like getting mad at himself for just standing there and not being able to do anything and like trying to get Sam to hurry. And she's like, there's a, just give me a minute. There's a lot of data to sort through. They'll find it. We'll get there. Hold on. And then she does find it three months ago. Here's ah, the time frame. Three okay. months ago. A coded oh, energy signature. Right. Yes. A coded energy signature was received at the alpha site, but no one could figure out what it was or where it came from. And Daniel's 100% sure that that is the force field deactivation code that Braytac sent before he was recaptured. Okay. So Sam can synthesize that and get them through the gate and Daniel will also be able to give them the rundown of the defenses and what will be waiting for them on the other side. Yeah. Cut to in the gate room. Everybody's there getting geared up as the gate is dialed. And Tilk tells Jack again that he's sure he'll be a liability and just like, you're fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And Tilk then continues that if he should die, he wants Jack to watch over Ryak. Jack's just like, well, let's just see. It doesn't come to that. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, wormholes established, time to do the thing. Sam sends the signal, then Ragnar tosses through a shock grenade. We then cut to Erebus, where we see SG-1, SG-2, SG-3, and Ragnar exit the gate, and it worked because all the guards are, like, unconscious, sprawled around the gate. Jack tells SG-3 to secure the gate and the unconscious guards, and Daniel, yep, Daniel's got it, starts leading them away. Over in the camp, Braytac pulls out his last vial of chitonin, and it's empty. Uh, unfortunately, Ryak sees this and immediately goes like, worst case scenario, everything has been for nothing. This has all just been a huge waste of time. Braytac's like, no, it's all been for you. Whatever happens, Ryak, you must survive. And Braytac will live as long as he needs to. Because he uh, always I, has. He, I mean, he's a hundred and something. Like, yes. Braytac never dies. He's awesome that way. That he is. Uh, SG-1 and 2 are taking a look down at the camp from sort of like up on a little bluff, and it's quite well guarded. So it's sort of like down in a valley, so trying to sneak in would be quite difficult. There's no sign of Braytac, but Sam does spot Ryak. And Tilk also points out where they can make a little blind spot so they can maybe sneak in. So Jack's like, all right, we'll go in after dark. Here's the like little cameo referenced Peter that he always puts in and everything. Okay. Um, so there's that bit where when they get there, Jack calls for Penhall to give him his gun that has the scope on it. Penhall is the name of Peter DeLuise's character from 21 Jump Street. Oh, okay. So that's it? That's all we get? That's all we got, yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm. So we cut to then later that night uh, down in the camp. Sam's that's one of the guards to let Tilk and Ragnar sneak in through that little blind spot now. Daniel and Jack are still up on the bluff, like watching and listening. And they spot who seems to be this head Jaffa, who I'm going to call Jeff because he has no name anywhere. 
and I'm getting tired of saying like the commanding Jaffa, the head, his, his name is Jeff, Jeff the Jaffa. Yeah. Jeff uh, okay. starts yelling at another guard. Daniel paraphrases for Jack that he's basically just getting like fully dressed down by Jeff for some reason. Once he's had enough with that guard, Jeff goes for another one and it takes him like right by where Tilk and Rackner kind of ducked into hiding. And Sam's like, oh, my God, they've been made, but it seems like not. Yeah, they're OK. All right. Tilk and Rachnor make it into the tent where Braytek and Bryak are being held. It's a kind of joyous reunion because, Father, yay, you're here. You did come to save us, yay. But Braytek is obviously very sick. Luckily, Tilk has enough tritonin for both of them and immediately gives Braytek a dose. Great. He's still too weak to walk. That's fine. We'll carry him. Ryak asks about, you know, all these other Jaffa here. There's too many to bring them to Ryak insists that they could fight, to which Tilk replies, then they will die. And Ryak's like, if they stay, they'll die. So that kind of made me think, like, what their original plan was. Like, I know that obviously they went to go get Ryak and Braytac, but like, Like, how would they just be like, you two, save yourselves. We're going to get you out and just like, fuck everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe was it to get those two so they could get an actual, like, eyes-on confirmation lay of the land, what the situation is, and then maybe try and come back to liberate the prisoners at a future date? I just, yeah, it just seems like, yeah, like, what, were you just leaving everybody else to die there? Because, honestly, if they did manage to get Braytek and Ryak out, the Jaffa guards probably would have just executed everybody else. Yeah, there. I'm not, you know? I don't really think that one. No, not so much. No. no. Uh, Jack then radios to Tilk that they've been made and they need to get out of there. Unfortunately, it's too late and they are captured by Jeff. Jack yells at everyone like SGC guys to like hold their fire, which is really hard to do as we hear the sounds of Tilk and Rachnor being whipped off camera. Sam and Daniel both have a really hard time with Jack ordering them to just sit there, but that's what they're going to do until they can find another way in. That is a sad moment. It is. But I mean, I kind of with you can't just go storming the castle, unfortunately, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I get it, but also I don't like it. Hmm. Yep. Uh, we then see Tilk and Reknor dragged back into the tent. They're both very badly injured, like they can't even walk. Braytek's starting to do a bit better. Ryak warns Tilk that if he can't walk, he'll be killed because all those who can't work are killed. And Tilk assures him that help is still on the way. Back up on the bluff, everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Daniel again tries to blame himself, but that really wouldn't have worked out better for anyone if he had stepped in back you know, when he was still ascended and there at the time. And Jack's like, time for plan B. Time to think of a plan B. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have one. We need one. We will get we one. Need one. So Jack's like, I think we need a distraction. And Sam's like, grenades? He's like, mm, bigger. Claymore is yeah, even bigger. And Jack looks up at that mothership that's under construction. He's like, ah, okay. Bigger. Got it. Yes. So Sam and Daniel, <laughs> Sam and Daniel ring up to the dry dock which peter was very clear to point out in the commentary where they are is not in the mothership but in that dry dock like floating platform ah okay so yes did you notice we finally 
I don't remember if it's the first time or the second time that they're doing the ring things or something. We finally get to see a panel. Oh, we see those every now and then. Yeah, but in, in the conversations that we started to have where we leave picking apart a Stargate and trying to pick apart the logic of the <laughs> the rings, you know, because it had multiple yeah. buttons, which yes. could mean multiple destinations and, you know, maybe? Yeah. Don't know. It's like there's, there's six buttons, but they only ever push four are like, do all ring transporters use, this, use the same four-digit combination of symbols? How do they yeah. work? I don't know. I don't know. Is one of them to like keep the doors open, you know, like on an ev- elevator? Is <laughs> <laughs> one of them to shut the doors immediately? Is one of them an emergency button? Yeah. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, back at the camp, Jack tells one of the SG2 members to target TRP1, whatever that is. I don't know. And he seems to be just looking at like the other side of Valley at just like a hill. So I don't. I couldn't find anything. I don't know what that means, but apparently they know what it means. So, okay. Uh, Back in the tent, Tilk is telling Ryak to start spreading the word so that everybody else there can be ready to fight when the time comes. And they're like, when is that? They'll know. (laughs) I have to start using that in my everyday life. (laughs) What's the sign? Just wait for the sign. What's the sign? You'll know. What? (laughs) Just reserve that one for your everyday life. When when somebody asks you a question, you just go, oh, you'll know when the time is right. You'll know. <laughs> When's dinner? So, you'll know. You'll know. Because I'll yell, dinner! <laughs> <laughs> you'll know. Yeah, you'll know. Uh, Ryak also wants to know if Tilk will be able to fight, but Tilk still insists he's too weak, which he kind of might actually be right now, after having been, like, whipped so severely. Uh, but no... Like, to Ryak, he's still the greatest warrior who ever lived. And Tilk's like, you are the one who must survive this thing. If I die, uh, whatever, but you must live. It's like, okay, fine. So Ryak leaves to try and get the troops as ready as they can be and, like, get to work as he needs to be doing. Yep. Up on the dock, Sam gets some C4 set to blow. Once it goes, it'll only take a few seconds for the anti-gravity platform to shut down. And then that ship is going to take a very big fall down to the planet. Woo-hoo. I wish we would have seen more of it crashing. Me too. We didn't get it. It was cool, though. Yeah. Uh, Braytac and Tilk are talking in the tent. Braytac is feeling much better and will be ready to fight when it's time. Tilk says he will be ready too, but Braytac doesn't think so. And he reminds Tilk that the true strength of a Jaffa comes from his heart and his mind, not his actual physical strength. Remember, even as old as Braytac is, he still wins every sparring match against Tilk. That's because Tilk lets him win. Ha ha ha. Ah, so, ha, ha. Yeah. Maybe maybe Tilk is feeling better if he's making yep. jokes like that. Yeah. So Sam and Daniel head back to the rings trying to get off the ship, but the rings are now surrounded by Jaffa. Yeah. Oh, back out in the camp, we see Raknor and Ryak spreading the word about like what's to come when Jeff spots Ryak away from his workstation and takes him away to be punished. Tilk emerges from the tent and begs to take Ryak's place. Ryak is young and still able, able to work. And Jeff's like, this is a good trade. Sure, come here. I'll I'll take you instead of your son. Sure, why not? Which, uh, I know they had to do it for TV, but they did not make the spreading of the word revolution is coming stealthy, <laughs> like, at all. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Jack radios to Sam, and Sam's like, we'll be ready in 30 seconds. And Jack's like, 30 seconds might be too long with what's happening down here right now. And Tilk is getting ready to be, I don't know if he's getting ready to be, like, executed or just, like, whipped some more. But, like, Jeff, I think, has a staff weapon. And he's just, like, he's just being demeaned by Jeff the whole time. Like, you were this great, Jaffa, and now you're just a shova. Ha, 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 I've bested you. Whatever. Uh, Ryak looks away, but Braytak tells him not to so that Tilk can look upon the face of his son as he dies. And just then, the C4 blows, and we're back up on the dry dock. The Jaffa that are guarding the rings run off to see what's happening. Sam and Daniel are able to get out of there, which is great. Uh, back down in the camp, there's kind of a pause as that Jaffa like warning horn is sounded because the ship is now falling out of the sky. A uh, bunch of Jaffa run off towards it to catch it i don't know why, <laughs> like, why are you running towards the ship that's falling to the planet like you can't do anything but anyway so a bunch of but luckily a bunch of jaffa run off and jack's like open fire so they start launching like grenade things like those things you like drop down the tube and then they shoot out and explode um yeah. Braytag yells for the prisoners to like charge the battle starts. It's chaos. Tilk and Jeff immediately get into it. Tilk's not doing so great. Ryak tries to help, but he's just tossed aside. Ragnar sees this, starts to run to help, but Ryak stops him, and Tilk manages to muster the last of his strength and break Jeff's neck. Yeah, you that see, was pretty. That was pretty brutal. Yeah. Although the Tilk had Jeff in like a stranglehold, but he has that like collar on, so he wasn't actually like choking yeah i was like why are you doing that that doesn't work yeah i don't know but anyway um a bunch more guards start charging towards where ragnar tilk and braytek are ryak yells to warn them they bring up their staff weapons to fire back in a bright flash of white light everybody's back in the gate room because as peter says they're the good guys of course they wouldn't we don't need to see it it's not you know what happens we know what happens yeah uh, we do see Braytac on a stretcher being, like, tended to. Tilk is being helped down the ramp by Ryak and Ragnar. The camp has been freed. All of the Jaffa relocated to the Alpha site. They're all very eager to join the rebellion. And Braytac's like, it was a success. And thanks Hammond of Texas for his help. But Hammond insists that it's Daniel who deserves the thanks. And he's like, indeed he is. Yeah. Back to Daniel and Tilk in Tilk's quarters with candles all aflame. Tilk admits that the meditation does help him feel better, even if it's not totally necessary, and that, according to Jack, Tilk finally has his mojo back. Daniel then extends his thanks to Tilk. He had thought, like, going through the whole ascension thing might help him finally feel like he actually belonged somewhere, but it required too great of a sacrifice. And, like, what he has here on Earth is too important to leave behind. And he finally feels like he's part of something important. So there are so many concepts to unpack in this episode. Okay, lay it on me. Well, that they just kind of, like, treat, I don't want to say treat lightly because they address them all. But it's, like, so, like, each of these things could have been its own episode. Of, mm-hmm. you know, Teal'c not feeling himself going through being on Tritonin and, you know, that whole journey of a of a warrior not being as strong as he used to be. Mm-hmm. That whole journey of, 
you know, Daniel trying to remember whether or not it was his choice to descend. Thus, like, was he really helping? Could he have helped more? That whole thing. And they just like tack on the end. Oh, I've never actually felt I belong somewhere in my entire life. And yay, now I do. Like, they button up an episode with that. <laughs> That's a whole other thing, you know, to unpack. Yeah. And just, I feel like each one of the, like, side things going on really should have been its own expanded episode. Okay. Would you, would it, I think it may help if I explain to you why Peter titled this episode Orpheus. Okay. Okay. Are you familiar with the myth of Orpheus? Not at all. Okay. So Orpheus was um, the poet and like a bard, like great musical prowess. He was the one who's married to Eurydice, who was killed by a snake bite. And so he was, he was so overcome with Greece that he ventured into the underworld himself to retrieve Eurydice from Hades. Hades was so moved by Orpheus's music and love for Eurydice that he let her go on the condition that neither of them look back when they were on their way out of the underworld. Like they had to wait until they got back to the surface of Earth before they could like look back, look at each other. Uh, Orpheus was like leading the way out and couldn't wait, looked back at Eurydice and condemned her to the underworld forever then. So. Oh, okay. Yes. So according to the commentary, he chose the title of Orpheus because we have both Tilk and Daniel traveling through their own personal hell, basically. Tilk, a slightly more literal hell than Daniel's sort of like metaphorical, like mental hell. But they're both on this journey of like trying to get through this really hard, dark place and trying to come out the other side of it. Okay. Does that help? I mean, yeah, but okay. I, I still think that both of those could have. Yeah. There was enough meat there for their own episode. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with that, but I do think having them both together also helped Tilk and Daniel become closer, and I really like their friendship. So, yeah, that's true. You know, I, I like that, you know, in their own way, they can sympathize with what each other is going through, because while it not while it may not be a sort of a strict sort of one to one, I'm going through the same thing you are. It's like I I get it because I'm kind of going through something kind of like that. Yeah. And, yeah. All right. I like that they're together. Yes. And for some reason on my first watch through, like when we got to that end scene, like I actually started tearing up a little when Daniel's like, I finally Aww. feel like I belong. I'm just like, oh, Daniel. I don't know why. I don't know. But yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Well, it's a heavy it's a heavy thing to admit of it is. feeling like you don't actually feel at home. Yeah. In the world? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know? you know, he finally feels like he does. And that's yeah. really great and sweet and lovely and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so episode title, Orpheus went through that. There's only one fun foreign territory title, and that was in French. They called it The Slaves of Erebus. Okay, not, yeah. <laughs> not Daniel remembers Ryak? No, because this was the French, not German. Everybody else just called it Orpheus, or like whatever Orpheus okay. is in their language, so. All right. Yes. So. Got it. Yep. All right. That's all I got. So, yeah. so what do you what do you think overall? Despite the fact you maybe could be two episodes, but like, what do what do you think of the episode we actually got? Overall, I did like it. Yeah, I, I liked it. Too. Enjoyed it. Yeah. 
Yes. This is one of this is one of those episodes I don't always remember, but when somebody says the Stargate episode Orpheus, I'm like, oh right, that one. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. Yeah. So I did kind of wonder to myself the timeline though of because because the last time you saw Daniel as an ascended being was the episode, you know, against um why am I blanking on everything? Anubis. Wow, that was a bad one. Um, against Anubis, and uh, and you still don't know what the bright light was, like you know all of that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so I did kind of wonder the timeline of did Daniel see all of the events of this episode happening before the events of that episode? I mean, or I was it after? Because if it was before, then there's a little bit of a plot hole in there because you'd think Daniel would be like, okay, as long as we're talking, you should probably check on Ryak and Braytag. <laughs> yeah, unless it was like he was going to tell somebody and then Anubis happened. He was like, oh, shit, Anubis, I got to go deal with that. Um, but yeah, like how close the the flashback happened to the the events with Anubis at the end of season six is up in the air. Um, And then I do know like when they actually find Daniel, they say he'd been on that planet for like three months. And if three months ago was when the alpha site received the thing, that signal, those those two things must have happened very close to each other. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Go based going on what time frames have been said in the show, I think they happened very close together. Mm-hmm. So yes. Yeah, but the the order of which would be important. Also, do we do we know the timeline of when he was found, like descended on the new planet? Um, after they had seen him last as the ascended being. No, that's the thing we don't know is we don't know how yeah. long it was from like, did he get yoinked from Anubis and immediately descended or did he get yoinked and there was some kind of like trial and shit happened for a while on the ascended plane and then he got shoved down right. back to earth. Um, actually, no, I just looked back mm-hmm. at my notes for fallen and they say they found him two moons ago. So that would tell me then that there was like a month or so between the flashback that Daniel saw and Daniel's descension. Well, that's considering they know what moons are. Yes. I mean, we're sort of approximating that a moon is a month, however, however long a month is on that planet. Yeah. Um, So about a month between the flashback events and Daniel being found Mm -hmm. at least. Do you think that if Daniel had not returned to the land of the living, he would have actually helped Braytac and Ryak? I don't know. I do think maybe because I think that's when he was starting to maybe get a little fed up with the non-interference thing based on, you know, the events in the season six finale, whose episode title I'm completely blanking on right now. And it's annoying me. I need to look it up um, because he was definitely doing stuff there he should not have been 
with helping them like find the eye and talking to Anubis and all of that stuff. Right. Uh, full circle, full circle. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Full circle. I should know that. Hey, I just um, forgot Anubis. So don't feel bad. <laughs> you know, the guy um, with the thing that does it with the hood yeah. and, and the face yeah. and the not faced. Yeah. I mean, I do think he would have, I don't know if he directly would have gone down and just like pfft, all of the guards and like taken them off world or if he would have done something like he'd done before where he like told a human on earth, hey, this horrible thing is happening. Here's what you can do to help. Something. Yeah. Maybe visited yeah. Tilk in a fever a dream, dream again. of something. Yeah. Or maybe gone to see Sam. She hadn't, he hadn't gone to see Sam and she would have had to look up like the logs and stuff. And that's something, you know, she would for sure know how to do better than anybody else. True. Yeah. I don't know. But I I think he would have done something. Okay. I would like to think so, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he was getting involved all the time, you know, during season six, you know, he was popping up all the time, you know. Yeah. Jack and Tilkin, everybody. Yep. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on threads and Instagram at SG underscore rewatch. And now on Discord, you can check the link in the show notes or email us at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for revisions. Bye. Bye.